What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to or watching, as the case may be, Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today, we're going to talk about facts and feelings, or facts, feelings, and conclusions. And I'm sorry I don't seem very present at the moment, but I forgot to dig this old meme out that I made, and I can't find it. I thought I would be able to find it on the fly, but that's going to come up later. We're not going to deal with that. I'm going to, I'm going to engage here, and we're going to be... A-OK. Number one, A-OK. All right. Now, folks, I hope everything's going on. Um, good morning, John Exum. Everything's going on. Everything is going on. I hope everything is well with what's going on. Um, hope you're doing well. Christy House, John Exum, uh, Tony or Terry Crooks. Good to see you. Terry Crooks, um, I tell you what, let me do something really quick. I am going to share a link to an article that a friend of mine wrote that you may find interesting. It is from some of the observations that he's had when studying with a Jehovah's Witness individual. All right. Give me just a second. I'm going to copy and paste. I said I'm going to copy and paste. All right, copy. Let's get into the comment section here. Boy, we've got a highly professional, well-oiled machine, don't we? All right, see if that see if that link, Terry Crooks, uh, takes you to a, a somewhere where you can read an article. Anyway. Um, Responding to the Watchtower, and there's the segments are with the introduction, and I'll read the introduction. The Watchtower teaches the physical earth will be eternal based on a handful of passages, mainly in Psalms and Isaiah. However, the scriptures teach there will be an end to this physical earth, and it goes on. But anyway, there's note on the proof text. There's argument one, argument two, argument three, argument four, argument five, and then he's got some of the references that he did. So I think you'd I think I think this would be profitable to you, Terry, uh, in in what you're going through with these uh, folks that are coming to your house and trying to study with you. Hello, Amanda Pratt. Good to see you, Robert Leedy. The Sword and Pearl is here. Good to see you. Awesome, Terry Crooks. Got it. Thank you very much. Yeah. So Terry, I looked for you on Facebook and I couldn't find you. So I'm I'm glad you tuned in today. Uh, in fact, I even reached out to some of our other listeners that I thought might've known you. And they's like, no, we don't know her personally. Well, y'all need to, y'all need to hook up and get to know one another. <laughs> Wayne Vaughn. Good to see you, man. All right, folks, let's get into the reason for the show today. I wrote an article called cessationism and continuationism, a scriptural analysis and the challenge of triangulation. Let me read the section on the problem of triangulation in continuationism. And, and this is where we're getting into the feelings part of the show. 
Triangulation and theological discourse often manifest when individuals avoid directly engaging with scriptural arguments, opting instead for personal attacks or appeals to majority opinion. This tendency in particularly is particularly noticeable in some continuationist circles. And I have, buddy, let me tell you something. The only circles in which I have run into triangulation more than the continuationism people is the faith alone people. Because their their whole argument is, well, my Jesus wouldn't require you to do anything to be saved. I'm like, your Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. So you at least have to believe, and that is a something you have to do. Now, it's a metaphysical act, but it's still something you do. So this, this crazy notion that, well, my Jesus wouldn't require of me anything. He requires belief. You have to engage with the scriptures intellectually to the point where you go from believe not to believe that takes work so that that proposition my jesus wouldn't require of me anything in order to be saved is a fool's folly but they hold on to that because of the feeling of it well they don't engage honestly with the facts and that's what we're going to talk about today there there are some facts so we got to figure out how to draw and look you may draw a different conclusion. I can have respect for you if you draw a different conclusion, if you draw that conclusion based on facts and logic and not feelings. I think about the atheist versus the creationist. The creationist, if he's well-informed and well-studied and sound of mind, can still be wrong. And I know what some of my brethren are tempted to say. Well, an atheist by definition cannot be sound of mind because he doesn't believe in God. That is false. You can be wrong and still be valid and sound in your reasoning. You've just concluded wrongly. And, and that's the big rub and the debate between Christianity and the rest of the world, really. You know. Israel, the word Israel, where God's people, Israel, it means wrestling with God. And ever since Jacob was deemed Israel, the people of God have always wrestled with him. And one of the things Christians wrestle with, who are interestingly enough, spiritual Israelites, we wrestle with God. The only thing a Christian will do that an atheist will not do or the thing a Christian will do, I should, not the only thing, the thing a Christian will do, if there's only one thing, the one thing that a Christian will do that an atheist won't do, is admit they might be wrong. A true atheist will not admit they might be wrong. That that, that would be an agnostic. A, 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 a Christian will say, I am convicted in my beliefs I 100% believe this to be true. And I'm 100% sure, but I do understand that I potentially could have drawn the wrong conclusion. That's not being an agnostic. That is, that is having faith. That's, that's, that's inducing the evidence and drawing a conclusion based on the evidence. All right. Anyway, 
This tendency is particularly noticeable about triangulation in some continuous circles. Here, views supporting cessationism are frequently dismissed, not through scriptural rebuttal, but via ad hominem attacks or by labeling these beliefs as antiquated or minority held. Notable scholars like John MacArthur, and we dealt with this the other day, he asserts that cessationist, the cessationist perspective was in fact the normative view up until the turn of the century. So if, if I, as a cessationist, would argue the way the continuationists argue, then I would just appeal to majority opinion and authority and, and the authority of Bible scholars throughout the entirety of the history of Christendom. And my, my cessationist viewpoint then would carry more weight. But we don't care about that. We're not trying to line up different scholars on opposite sides of the, of the ditch. We're trying to come together, me and another individual, and have a conversation based on the merits of the arguments at hand. And to, we need to engage with one another and engage with the topic through facts. In other words, here are the facts. What can we conclude based on those facts? So that's anyway, uh, such tactics significantly impede the integrity of theological discussion. Meaningful debate should center on scriptural interpretation, historical context, and theological consistency. Resorting to personal or populist arguments sidetracks the conversation. It's just absolutely worthless. All right. Um, let me get to some comments here. Uh, Diana Harden, good morning. And unfortunately, society lies. Yeah, societal lies do leak into the church. Absolutely. Sorry, if, if you see me cock up my nose at you, I'm not disgusted. I'm just looking through the thick part of my bifocals. All right. Speaking of arguing from feelings, a popular preacher, Alistair Begg, advised a grandmother whose son is marrying a transgender individual. He advised her not only to go attend the wedding, but to bring a gift also. Now, Mr. Begg is a false teacher, but this serves how folk argue from feelings rather than looking at the facts. By the way, he doubled down on his advice in a recent sermon he did. Shame, Romans one thirty two. Yeah, it happens. All right. Yeah, the truth always rests with the minority. And the minority is always stronger than the majority because the minority is generally formed by those who rely, who really have an opinion while the strength of the majority is illusory. For, is, hold on. Is usually formed by the gangs who have no opinion and who therefore in the next instant when it's evident that the minority is stronger, assume its opinion, while truth again reverts to the new minority. And that that was, uh, oh, that's Kierkegaard. I thought that sounded familiar. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's by default, truth is always held by the minority. And that, that is true. It's because what happens is these majority mobs who aren't really informed enough on the facts to draw an, an, an actual opinion and have a conviction, they just go with whatever's popular at the time, you know? And incidentally, the I, I'm working on, I don't know if I'm going to get it done or not, but I'm working on some content 
the church is really missing out on a golden opportunity because right now in Western culture, there is a shift and there is a shift back to a normalizing of Judeo-Christian values. The problem is because we're in, we're in the vacuum stage right now. Reality has reasserted itself. Like all of these young kids coming up, when I say young kids, 30 and up, 30 and below, they're starting to see, hey, a life of sexual promiscuity is meaningless. Hey, for a woman, uh, studying like a dog through school, leaving high school and going to college, going to college for four, six or eight years and getting a career and then trying to settle down in your late thirties and start bearing children. That's not working. So what do we do? You know, men need to reassert themselves as the dominant, uh, gender men need to start being masculine again. So if the church doesn't temper all of that with Christian values, then what has happened, and I, I can't remember the verse in Matthew, uh, it was copy and pasted from one of our listeners a few weeks ago. The spirit of this age has been excised by reality. But what has happened is now that the spirit of this age has been excised, this spirit is going to go to and fro and, and wander, and it's going to come back. But if it finds the age bereft of that which is from God, in other words, if, if it finds the age bereft and devoid of a spirit, then this spirit is going to re-enter this age, but it's going to be seven times stronger. We have got to, we've got to replace the spirit of this age with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of Christ, with the Spirit of God. So whenever these, whenever you see these podcasts and stuff like that on YouTube about these red pills, whenever people are, um, good morning, Neil Abbott, and Proverbs 15, 14, a wise man's hungry for truth while the mocker feeds on trash. You got that right. Um, but what I'm talking about with the Spirit of this age I can take you to so many red pill podcasts that basically it's a, it's a group of men and women and they're young and they're talking about the gender roles and how society is and reality is reasserting dominance. Like ladies, the sexual act is different for you than it is for men. You can't go around and be permitted. Let, let's say that we're all just a bunch of mammals. And there's, there's no spirituality. And once you die in this life, you're like Rover. You're just dead all over. All right. You still are going to have a terrible life. If you go out here and you, you lay down with every man that comes along that wants to lay down with you. Now, men are different biologically. It does not affect their psyche the way it affects women's psyche. And so what's going on is you've got this, this reality trying to coalesce and reestablish itself, but it's nebulous and there's no guidelines. So it's leading toward chaos, hedonism. And if we don't, if the church doesn't step up and start speaking about these, um, societal things, 
then what's going to happen is you're going to have a society that that leaves the LGBTQ AI two spirit plus mess and and saying that men and women are interchangeable and they're going to go all the way back past what God has decreed and it's going to go into hedonism which is chaos and death and you're going to have uh you're going to have a very small minority of men have a large harem of women again. Women will be ended up will end up being way more oppressed than they've ever than they ever have been. You know, the, I, I put forth to you that the quote unquote patriarchy did not oppress women. The patriarchy, uh, as it relates to Judeo Christian values, actually elevated women and protected women. Where now, under third fourth wave feminism. Women are more oppressed than they've ever been probably in the history of the world. Um, I mean, what would you go, go back to 1930 in rural United States and tell that housewife, look, you're going to have to leave your children with strangers. You're going to have to stop cooking for your husband. You're going to have to stop taking care of your house and you're going to have to stop enjoying so much of your time at your house and being a homemaker. And you're going to have to start in a high stress, high performance job just to take care of yourself. Because by the way, you're, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a boss babe and you're going to slay queen. Well, what about my man? Oh no, there's not going to be a man. What kind of, what kind of life is that? Well, if the church doesn't step up, then we're going to, we're, we're going to, we're not going to get back to godly roles for men and women. We're going to get into an ungodly way, and that's going to be a small amount of men with the majority of women. You're going to get back into the harems and, and the multiple wives and stuff. Anyway, yeah, then then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more evil than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of the man becometh worse than the first. Yeah, men MGTOW is what you're talking about, sword and pearl. Men going their own way as red pill branch is scary. How those men talk about how they hate women. And that's all they talk about. It's not about balance. It's about raging vitriol. Yes. And, and I put forth to you that anytime something is bent out of whack, in order to correct it, you have to bend it back farther the other way. So whenever you release it, it comes back to a normal. And I put forth to you that that's what you're seeing in the MGTOW for the last, I know in the United States for the last 50, well, 60 years. Yeah. Since, since the, since around the eighties, this, this second, third wave feminism has come in. And it's not that in Western culture, women want to be equal with men. They actually want to be more privileged. They, they want to be, they want to have a, a, a place of privilege and not a place of equality. Um, I, I've told my daughter several times, I'm like, you, you do not want to be equal with men. You know, you don't want to go to a workplace and let's say that there's four men and four women. You don't want to be those men. You want them to not treat the women the way they treat one another because the way men treat one another in a workplace is brutal. It's difficult. We're, we're, we're brutal towards one another, and we do that so we can toughen one another up 
and we can figure out where the boundaries are. So when the proverbial excrement hits the fan, we'll know who we can depend on and who we can't. And women typically cannot stand that. They can't, they're not they're. I'm going to just say it's going to be unpopular. They're not popular enough to deal with it. You know how I know they're not, they're not, they're not powerful. They're not strong enough to deal and deal with it. Popular. I don't know why I said popular. Anyway, uh, they're not there. And the reason I say that is because in your, all of your HR and all of your, your, um, workforces, the, the people that soften those edges are women. But now that's the way it should be. I mean, God set this up. I mean, that's the way it should be. God set it up this way. If, if a woman walks into a, a, and it used to be, uh, if a woman walked into a room of, of miscreant gangbanger men, those men would stand up straight. They would clean up their foul language because they got to act right because a woman's there. And what has feminism brought us? Well, if you want to come up in the bar, that's fine, but we're going to treat you just like we treat anybody else. And they can't handle it. Mark McCroy says, I'm just gerrymandering here. <laughs> uh, yes. And, uh, Brian Allen, this is a very important subject. It needs to be discussed. Thanks for covering. I appreciate that. Sword and Pearl says, um, you're right, Tony. Some of these women who uh, transition to male cry because men get treated poorly. Oh, dude, there's dude. I didn't mean. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, there's um, there's all kinds of content out there where uh, a, like where a woman has tried to live for six months or a year as a man, and one one woman actually unalived herself. She said, "I couldn't believe it." She said. Men, it's not what we've been told. I thought that might have been the case. Mark McCroy says, sorry, stupid phone changed my words. <laughs> uh, I love autocorrect. Anyway, folks, uh, th th so this first 22 minutes has been me. Like, I digress. Let's get back on the deal. Look, facts and feelings. You've got to draw your conclusions based on facts, not feelings. So... Again, back to the article with the cessationism and the create and the and the and the continuationism. Um, I wrote that in response to a couple of men that, again, they just they called me a blasphemer, they called me wicked, they called me everything else, but they never ever not once engaged in any arguments that I made. So this this woman on my Substack, um, I'm going to read her comment here. I'm surprised no one has commented on this yet to argue one way or the other. Well, that was terrible inflection. Sorry. Let me start over. I'm surprised no one has commented on this yet to argue one way or the other, but I read this a couple of days ago and it's been bothering me. So I thought I'd start the conversation first. I'm not a trained theologian. I don't have any Bible degrees. I don't, I haven't gone to school to be, to be in ministry specifically. In fact, until this article, I'd never heard the term cessationism or continuationism. But I've always under I had the understanding and belief that spiritual gifts are present in Christians even today. So I guess that would put me in the in the continuationism camp. Now, that entire first paragraph 
It is all feelings. There is no fact here. Now, there are facts, obviously. She, it is a fact. She is surprised no one has commented on this yet. It is a fact that she read it a couple of days ago. It is a fact that it's been bothering her. But those are self-supporting facts. In other words, they're self-supporting propositions. They cannot be proved wrong one way or the other. They are, they are true by virtue of the fact that this woman is speaking. All right? So un- understand what I mean when I say there's no facts here. Like, there, there's nothing to talk about. Now, she even goes on, hello, good morning, David, uh, from India, and good to see you. Now, she goes on to say, and this is where I think she's, she's doing a little bit of virtue signaling ignorance. I haven't gone to be in ministry specifically. I don't have any Bible degrees. In fact, I didn't even know the terms. All I, and, and, and the implication is, all I know is just what I read in the Bible, and I'm just a simple person, and, and you know, the Bible just says it, so we got to believe it, and that's just the way it is. Like, I can hear that in the, in, the, in the writing, okay? Because that's where she goes. When I read Scripture about spiritual gifts, two things stick out to me. Okay, what, what sticks out to you? Number one, spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit to Christians. Number two, spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of building up the church, the body of Christ. Both of those are wrong. Both of those statements are wrong on their face. The spiritual gifts were not given to Christians by the Holy Spirit. And spiritual gifts are not given for the purpose of building up the church, the body of Christ. Specifically, in 1 Corinthians 14, we find out from Paul we find out from Paul that the specific gift of prophecy is for edification. And then in Ephesians chapter four, we find these um, offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors who teach. I believe those are the three apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors who teach. And I think the King James is pastors and teachers, but so those offices are given for the building up of the church. But the reason for the spiritual gifts are not for the building up the church. Now, so she's already starting from a, from a false conclusion based on the fact that she doesn't have propositions that are true. So there's two propositions here. Spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit to Christians. Is that true? Spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of building up the church, the body of Christ. Is that true? Well, the answer is no. Neither one. But she believes they're true because of her feelings on other things. So she has two questions for me. Do you believe that Christians today have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them? Nowhere have I ever denied that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is is not something that is true. So she's made a non-sequitur leap. Or was that also just for the early church in the age of apostles? See, what she's doing is she is saying, if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, then you must be able to do miracles. 
Is the church important for Christians today? Well, what kind of question is that? Now, if your answer to either of those questions is no, then we will never agree on this topic, and we can agree to disagree. But I believe that Christians today do have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, and I believe that the church is vital to the support of spiritual health of Christians today. So if Christians have the Holy Spirit and the church is important, why would Christians today not have spiritual gifts to continue to build up the church, the body of Christ? Well, that's easy because we have the word of God. We have the Bible. The only thing we need to build up the church of Christ is the Bible, the word of God. That's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. If I'm thoroughly furnished to all good works, then I don't need miracles from the Holy Spirit. And she goes on, when I read passages such as 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, that talk about spiritual gifts, those passages when read in context seem to be speaking to all Christians in all ages, not just Christians in the first century. Well, okay. But the problem is she did not deal at all nor engage at all with anything that I said in the argument because here is the, I set up one, two, three, four, four points on the uh, scriptural basis for cessationism. In other words, people who claim to be cessationist, here are four things that you have to engage with in order to convert them from the camp of the cessationist to the, to the continuationist. First Corinthians 13, eight through 10, Paul's declaration that whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away, is often cited. The phrase, when that which is perfect is come, is interpreted by cessationists as the completion of the New Testament. You've got to, you've got to prove that wrong. If you're going to claim that spiritual gifts happen today, You've got to prove that that which is perfect is something other than our completed canon of Scripture. All right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. This verse speaks of the church being built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, implying that the era of apostles and prophets was foundational, not ongoing. So you've got to, you've got to if you're going to convert somebody, from being a cessationist to a continuationist, you have to engage with, with that proposition. The proposition is the apostles and prophets were foundational. And the apostolic age, the prophetic age, the age of miracles, as we call it sometimes, had an end point. It definitely had a beginning point. That's the day of Pentecost. But it also had an end point. And you got to prove that it doesn't have an end point until the second coming of Jesus. So you, you, can't, you can't just say, well, Ephesians 4 seems to be talking to Christians in all time. No, you've got to deal with that. 
And then Hebrews 2, 3 through 4. This passage suggests that the signs and wonders were a testimony to the revelation given through the Lord and his apostles. And it indicates a specific purpose in a specific time. She totally overlooked that. She, she, in fact, that Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 disproves her second proposition that the, that the spiritual gifts were given to edify and build up the church. No, the, the spirit was given to bear, the, the power of the spirit was given to bear testimony of the word that was being preached. Go to Acts chapter 13 and look at the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. Well, Bar-Jesus was standing in the way of Paul's preaching the gospel to Sergius Paulus, the proconsul. So Paul struck Elymas blind, Elymas the Bar-Jesus. Paul struck that man blind. And an interesting thing happened. The scripture says that it was the word, the doctrine at which the proconsul wandered. There was wonder in about him, but not at the miracle, at the doctrine. How did, how, how did, how did the proconsul know the doctrine was true? Because there was a man there that did a miracle. And then finally, to me, this is the strongest Acts chapter eight, verse 18, when the, when the, when Simon saw that by the laying on of the apostles hands, the Holy ghost was given, he offered him money in this passage. Simon observes that the Holy spirit is given through, through the laying on of the apostles hands. This observation is significant in the context of cessationism as it implies that the impartation of spiritual gifts was directly associated with the presence of the apostles. With the passing of the last apostle, this direct means of imparting gifts would also cease. Cessationists interpret this as indicative that the age of miracles and direct apostolic gifts was unique to the first century and the foundational period of the church. In other words, 1 Corinthians 8, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spake as a child, I acted like a child, you know, I did childish things. But when I became a man, I put away those things. Well, the cessation of the apostolic line, therefore, signifies the end of this era. Aligning with the belief that these gifts were intended for a specific time and a specific purpose in God's redemptive history. Folks, if you believe that the age of miracles extends to the 21st century, you've got to deal with these arguments. And these are not the only arguments you have to deal with. But you at least have to deal with these four. And that's that's my problem. Nobody deals with them. Nobody deals with them. All right. Um, yeah, we, yeah, 1 Corinthians 14, 5, speaking in tongues or speaking in prophecy, the, the prophecy edifies the church. I've read that some believe God can and still does perform miracles today, but the Holy Spirit no longer uses individuals to perform miraculous signs. Uh, Scott Beck, that is absolutely the case. Um, in fact, that is the camp of the Calvinists. John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, um, who else? Anyway, they, 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 they are cessationists in that they do not believe that there are individuals today that are able to do miracles of healings and tongues and prophecy and all that. But they still believe that God 
does miracles. I do not. Okay. But uh, full full transparency and honesty here, that is a harder sell. All right. Because I mean, because here's the thing, like what do you consider a miracle? Okay. Well, first off, Acts chapter four, verse sixteen. Um what do we no, that's the wrong verse. A notable miracle has been done. It is manifest to all, and we cannot deny it. That's Acts chapter four. That's whenever Peter and company, Peter performed a miracle there. And it, it was notable, manifest to all, and undeniable. A miracle. Well, you know what? I didn't have but one good kidney when I woke up this morning. And when I went out to the, when I went to town and came back, God healed my kidney. Did you know that? Well, I can't, that's not notable and manifest to all. And it's certainly not undeniable. Well, you know, I had stage four pancreatic cancer and now I'm cancer free. The doctor said it was a miracle. God performed a miracle. Did he? Now, I don't doubt the operation of God. I think God absolutely worked. But a miracle? Like, you don't think it was all that chemo treatment you did? You don't, you don't think God gave you the financial means and the, the reasonableness and the, and, the, and the sense of responsibility to take care of your physical health? And you don't think he worked in the world to bless that doctor to be an expert in your disease and all of the, and you, you following what the doctor said? All of that was God working in your life to heal your cancer. You think it was magic? See, that, that's a harder sell. Robert Leedy, I'd almost tell you to say it again louder, but I think it would look weird in all caps. We need to understand the difference in a miracle and providence. Yes, and and... Yeah, every doctor knows of times of spontaneous healing. And incidentally, it's unexplainable. They can't explain it. But that is something that God put in your body. There is no telling the healing power that we could unlock if we were actually able to go back to living as clean as we were able to live a thousand years ago. Like it, it is, it is a wonder that humans have a hundred year lifespan <laughs> and, and think about a thousand years ago. Uh, a lot of people think, well, you know, a thousand years ago, the average lifespan was 35 years old. Yeah. That's because all of the children that died before they were the age of six months, the average lifespan for individuals has always been around 70 or 80 years. It's just creeped up to close to a hundred in the last little bit. The body by design is self-healing and regulating. Absolutely. Brandon Wild says, amen. I don't know what I said that he said amen to, but he said, amen. So I'll take it. Um, and then these guys also believe in degrees of sin, like on a spectrum. Yeah. I think there's a, I will interject something here. John 19, 11 is very interesting. Sword and pearl. Um, Jesus 
looks at Pilate and says, the person, like you would have no power over me unless the father gave it to you. The person that turned me into you, the person that betrayed me to you, he's committed the greater sin. So there is a sense in which sin is gradient in nature, but what you're talking about, I think, is, well, I can commit a sin in order that good may come because sin is gradient in nature. In other words, a lie is not as bad as a murder. So I can lie to keep somebody from murdering. I think that's called graded absolutism. And yeah, a lot of these guys believe in graded absolutism, which I believe is absolutely farcical. Anyway, hopefully I'm not putting words in your mouth, but anyway, all right. Yeah, the eye in tulip. Where's that? I want to get that. This, 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 this right here, the first paragraph of this person about, well, I'm, I'm not educated or anything like that. That that's, that's virtue signaling ignorance. Like I'm ignorant. I'm less educated. So I'm more virtuous. So you need therefore to believe more of what I say. I don't have a doctorate in biblical study, so I can't possibly understand the Bible dot, 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 LOL. I hear this reasoning all the time. You don't have to have X degree to have a thorough understanding of a topic. How do you know what they are, what they say or will do? Because I have the capability to study and have studied on X topic. Yes, I cannot stand it whenever, um, whenever people appeal to their authority, to their degree as an authority, like, well, I'm a graduate of the Memphis School of Preaching, so you must listen to me. I, yeah, whatever. You think you're two years at MSOP? I mean, well, let me explain something to you. I don't want to come off as degrading my alma mater. And I would say this to any member of faculty, and I believe what, I would, what I'm about to say would make them proud. I learned more in the one year after graduating Memphis School of Preaching than I learned in the entirety of the two years I was there. Now, what do I mean by that? I learned how to study at MSOP. MSOP didn't have enough time to teach me everything I learned in a year after I graduated because they had to bring me up to the level where I could actually start learning Memphis school of preaching, bear Valley, West Virginia, uh, bah, 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 I'm whatever you pick those schools. They make, they, they actually make Bible students. They actually make Bible students. They they prepare people to be able to study. That's what they do. Anyway. Brandon Wild, we are on the same level, but there's a question mark. Brandon, it depends on what you mean by that. Everybody obviously is on the same level. Everybody has mental capacity. Everybody's brain is is um Maybe not my brain. Um, 
compatible. There we go. Everybody's brain, everybody's software is compatible with the hardware that God has put in the earth. Now, what I mean by that, given diligent study and open-mindedness and, and using proper methods for reasoning, in other words, proper logic, I believe that a person with an 85 IQ can understand the Bible well enough to obey the gospel and live a life faithful to God through Christ and go to heaven for eternity. And not only that, this person of an IQ of 85 can also know the Bible well enough and be articulate enough to even teach others. I think I think lower than 85 and lower than 80 you start getting into the realm of you know some some mental deficits and everything. But look, like that I'm going to talk about Drew Leonard. Drew Leonard says some stuff with which I disagree. Drew Leonard is a bona fide Bible scholar. He's young. His mind is just different than mine. So in that sense, Drew Leonard and I are not on the same level. Uh there have been times where I've I've bounce stuff off of drew and my conclusion is look what you just said i disagree with but there's no way that i would meet you on the polemic platform to argue with you so you have you have what you have convinced me of is your position is valid enough for me to not dismiss it i know that i'm never going to do the the scholarly study that you have done on this topic. So when I, and there, there are things from drew about the book of Daniel and the book of revelation that I don't 100% agree with, but I still present it to a Bible class. I just give it the caveat. So, Hey, listen, this makes too much sense for me not to give to you. In that in that sense, me and Drew ain't on the same level. Now, if I applied the same discipline of study to these topics that Drew has, then yeah, we would be on the same level. So I, I really appreciate that we are on the same level question mark. It, it might not have been what you intended, but it been made, I think, for some, some good points to be made. Everybody possesses within them the ability to interface with this hardware that God has given us and we can understand it and we don't need a magic miracle to do it. There are things we may disagree on, but I don't argue from an emotion and call you names like stupid or anything else. It should be okay to disagree, but with a Christ-like attitude and we are at different points in growth. We all have to grow in the grace and knowledge. True. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think probably that's a good way to say, you know, well, not everybody is on the same level as in not everybody is, on the same stage of their journey, but as far as being able to understand the scripture, there's not a soul in here that, that, that is any better suited to understanding the scripture. What I was, okay. I'm just going to say this. There's nobody here that's better suited to understand the scripture than me, but I'm not better suited than anybody else. That's what I'm trying to say. I felt a little bit arrogant there. Y'all run that through a filter of love and understanding and, and get the key point, please. Anyway, uh, don't let someone else do your Bible study for you. You got that right.
and you just have to have an open mind. That's it. That's it. We can all understand when you read, you may understand Ephesians three. That's the book of Paul, the book of Paul. That's Paul. (laughs) That's Paul Ephesians three. All right. Book of Ephesians. Now let's, let's quickly in the time remaining, cause I need to, I need to get off right at the, the top of the hour. Um, let's talk about these two spiritual gifts are given by the Holy spirit to Christians. Spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of building up the church, the body of Christ. Um, the impartation of gifts through the laying on of hands. All right. So I've already covered this a little bit. Um, Tony, also that woman on Substack who says she's not a theologian. In addition to being virtue signaling, it's also meant to be condescending. Like I don't need to be studied to have common sense. Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 yes, that's yeah. All right. No further commentary necessary. Ad homonyms are pretty well established. You've lost an argument. That's it. Yes. And look, man, I'm the world's worst when it comes to arguing about separating emotion from the argument not that i put emotion in but man i don't care what we're arguing i can separate my emotions and my feelings from the argument to the point where it's almost pathological and i come across to the other person as if i don't care about them as an individual and i've i've done it before and and it's and it i've done i'm getting ahead of myself i've done it a lot And I've tried to work on it. And when I see myself doing that now, what I try to do is just lean into it and be like, hey, look, me disagreeing with you has nothing to do or any bearing whatsoever about what I feel about you as a person, about my respect for you. I'm so logically minded that to the point of pathology, I separate fact from feeling. Here's the thing. Ben Shapiro is absolutely right. Facts do not care one bit about your feelings. However, feelings also don't care about your facts. Feelings temper facts. In fact, you talk about a good yin and yang. What did we talk about earlier in the show about the different roles of men and women? The man ought to be a little gruff and intimidating, but his woman takes off those edges. That's why in warrior societies, the old men, after they live through all the wars and they have been the husbands of their wives and they have reared children and they have made very dangerous a dangerous generation underneath them, when it comes to their grandchildren, they are now are soft enough, I believe, because in large part by the influence of femininity, they are soft enough to be a part of, of communal, communally, communal, participating in, in a societal push to raise the grandchildren. I may not have that thought fleshed out enough to have even said, but, but anyway, the, the idea is 
um, why, why do, why is the trope? Well, I tell you what my parents would have done to me if I would have, if I would have done something like my grandchild did in their house, they would have whooped me and did that the other. But now it's like my parents have gone soft. Yeah. That's because we're supposed to be, we're supposed to head that direction, you know? And a lot of the reasons why granddaddy is a whole lot more tender and soft with his grandson, a lot of it has to do with his grandma, with, with, with his wife, with grandmama. Anyway, we're going to leave that. And that may be a subject for another time. Um, yeah, that, that is the new song facts. That's it. Brandon wild. I haven't heard it in its entirety. I've only heard a little bit of it. Um, it would be hard to keep emotion out of a debate. Absolutely. And my dad liked to say, he who throws mud only has mud to throw. Yeah. All right. So back to these two propositions, who gave the Holy spirit, who gave the miraculous endowment to individuals? Well, it was the apostles folks. The Holy spirit didn't do that. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. This passage describes an instance where the apostles laid hands on believers, and as a result, those believers received the Holy Spirit. Simon's reaction indicates that the gift of the Holy Spirit was visibly manifested in some way, leading him to offer money for the ability to impart the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. And I need to get verse 19 in there. Let me, let me read verse 19 of Acts 8, because this, this is the explanation. All right. And he, oh, Acts 8. I was in Acts 18. Acts chapter 8. All right. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, so here's what Simon said. Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Well, folks, hello, Iva Potter. I'm glad to have you listening today. Well, folks, the fact is that when Simon saw that by the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, give me this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, they'll receive the Holy Ghost. Well, that's explicit. That's an explicit fact. This, this is what Simon saw. Now, the implication is that it takes an apostle to lay hands to receive the Holy Ghost. The conclusion is then that in the absence of an apostle, the Holy Ghost cannot be given. You've got to deal with that. So it's not the Holy Ghost that gives the gifts. It's the apostles. 2 Timothy 1.6 Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Paul reminds Timothy he needs to utilize this spiritual gift, which was given through the laying on of Paul's hands. Again, the implication is that it took Paul's laying on of hands. Paul was an apostle. Now, the Holy Spirit, though, does play a role in this. The Holy Spirit decides 
the nature of the gift. And I, the meme that I was looking for that I forgot to get, the tile that I made years ago, has all nine of these spiritual gifts, which are elucidated in First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Well, the Holy Spirit decides which of the nine the person gets, but it is the apostle that lays on the hands, okay? But all these worketh at one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So the, the, the apostle gives the gift, but the spirit divides it and decides which one, okay? This verse explicitly states that it's the Holy Spirit which determines who determines which gifts are given, but it's the apostle that gives the gift, okay? So let's talk about then, finally, the purpose of the gifts. Well, look at Mark 16, verse 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So they would preach, and then they would confirm the word with these miraculous signs. Well, this verse indicates, in other words, the implication is that the purpose of the signs were to confirm the word, all right? A friend who left the church because he believed he could perform miracles like raising the dead experienced heartbreak last week when his father passed away in his arms and he was unable to bring him back to life. How sad. Oh, Terry, that is so sad. Mm, these these people are, are are they're preaching a false gospel with a false spirit, giving false hope. In fact, they're relegating the third member of the Godhead into a pool of power into which they can dip in order to do this, to give false hope, to preach a false gospel, to convert people to follow a false God. Mm. All right. So Mark 16, 20, the implication is that the purpose of the gifts were for confirming the word. But then look at Hebrews 2, 3 through 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders, and with different kinds of miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. This passage, again, further supports the idea that the spiritual gifts along with signs and wonders, that's miraculous stuff, were get, were used, rather, by God to bear witness or testify of the truth of the gospel message. The gifts of the Holy Spirit were part of the divine testimony to the salvation message preached by the apostles. And look, we're at the top of the hour. There are so many uh, more passages of scriptures, but but here's what I would say to this woman. You've got to get past what we've said. You, you haven't engaged in any argument but I have just engaged with your propositions. Your propositions are spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit to Christians. They are not. It's the apostles that did that. The Spirit decided which gifts. 
The spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of building up the church, the body of Christ. That is not true. It is for confirming the word. The word of God is for the purpose of equipping the church. And you find that in first, uh, uh, second Timothy three, 16 and 17. And incidentally, if you read the entirety of Ephesians four, the word is for building up into the fullness and the stature, the stature and the fullness of Christ. And we have as more sure a prophetic word, which to you will, which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Paul's testimony in Corinth was confirmed by gifts. First Corinthians 14 or first Corinthians four, nine. Yes. Yeah. Because without, without think about how you would receive somebody. If they come up into your assembly on Sunday morning and said, Hey, listen, Jesus Christ has returned, but there's a new dispensation of time. And now we're entering into a new priesthood. And we have a new Messiah figure, and his name is John Smith. Well, <laughs> Joseph Smith. Uh, anyway, do you see? To see how that works, you would laugh that person out of the building. But what if he raised somebody from the dead? What if he touched your oak church pew that's obviously made from wood that is long since dead, but when he touched that oak church pew, a 30-foot oak tree sprouted and grew instantaneously? Now, I put forth to you that would be difficult, but you could take his, you could take his message and compare it to the Bible, and even if he were able to do a miracle, you would laugh him out of the assembly because he's he's a false teacher. The word of God is what's powerful. Well, actually, let's go to the book of Acts. Let's end with this one verse. Hold on, that's verse 35. I don't need that verse. It's verse 32. Paul is speaking to these elders of Ephesus. As he's leaving to go to Jerusalem, he says, and now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified folks, the word of God's grace grammatically in this verse, the word of God's grace is sufficient to build us up and to give us an inheritance. Why in the world? Do I need some kind of miracle? The word is what's important. What is it that is the power of God unto salvation? Well, you know what it is. It's the gospel. How is the gospel message disseminated? Through the word. What does Jesus say in John chapter 6? The words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. We need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We need to be filled with the spirit, not with wine, but with the spirit. Folks, I absolutely do believe that the father 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three indwell Christians. I also believe that the age of miracles is over. And at the very latest, the age of miracles ended with the la- with the death of the last apostle. So to this person, and I'm going to, I'm going to copy and paste a link to this live stream right here. And I'm going to say, hopefully you listen, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste time writing a rebuttal. Oh, wow. This is an interesting comment. I don't think it is helpful to start from a position of why wouldn't. I think the original article listed some why woulds, and it would be necessary to start there. I like this. Yeah, my article, yeah, it's from the perspective, why would God perform miracles today? Well, it's because the purpose of the miracles are no longer needed. And that's a good conversation to have. And that's what this person is saying. He goes on to say, even the most cursory examination of scripture reveals that God chooses to act differently in different parts of history. He walked in the garden with Adam. He didn't do so with Solomon, or at least it isn't recorded. In each era, we see different things. The law, the prophets, etc. <laughs> that's a good comment, folks. And here's the thing, this person may disagree with me. I don't know, but that is, that is probably the most honest comment I've ever seen. Anyway, uh, Neil Abbott, let me get your comments and then we're going to shut her down. I got to get off here. Paul's testimony in Corinth was, oh, sorry. I got that one. True. A building uses scaffolding while under construction. When the construction is finished, the scaffolding is removed. Miracles were the scaffolding of scripture. That's absolutely true. And I think it must be said that nobody, and, and I stole this right off of Todd Clippard and I'm going to say it so much. Eventually I'll quit giving this caveat. (laughs) In other words, I'll use it so much. I'll stop giving him credit one day. Nobody in the first century ever had a, a, a logical debate about whether or not miracles were able to be done. One person said, I can do a miracle. The other person says, no, you can't. So the other person just says, nope, excuse me. The other person just does a miracle or not. That's the thing. And here's the problem with that, though. Well, Tony, I can do miracles because the Holy Spirit's in me. And well, okay, then do a miracle. Prove it. Well, you can't can't test God. Buddy, I ain't testing God. I'm testing you. Think about the seven sons of Sceva. Paul, or Jesus, whom Paul preacheth, by the name of Jesus, whom Paul preacheth, we abjure thee. Uh, Jesus I know, and Paul we know. But who are ye? Folks, that's scary. It's such a privilege to listen to your podcast, Tony. Well, thank you, Diana Harden. All right, folks, it's been Tony Brew with Cogitations. Y'all, we didn't even do the ad read. We got to do the ad read. 
Lindsay Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. Are you part of a church congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches, whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics. Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com, which is the preferred method for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate both far and wide. Contact Lindsay Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com today. And don't forget to subscribe to Substack, YouTube. Oh, man, I meant, I, I made a caption just for the show today. Here's the caption. Christianity Now streams on YouTube and um, comments are easier on YouTube. So if you can find us on YouTube, just search Christianity Now streams, subscribe and, and interact with the uh, the comment section there, it's easier for me to get the comments. All right. God bless every one of you. Like, subscribe, and share all that good stuff. Support us monetarily if you can. The ways to do that is in the show notes. And Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. And listen to our podcast through the archive. But if you really want to help and, you don't wanna, and, you, and you're and you not able to do monetary support, go to Christianity Now Streams on YouTube and go to your desktop and start playing the 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 playlist the podcast playlist and just let it play and let it let it just run in the background if you can stand it and that really helps the algorithm god bless every one of you this has been tony brewer with cogitations and we'll catch you on the flip side <laughs>